performance for me as a kid, there was a level of dysfunction in my house. And so performance became a real kind of salvation for me, a place where I could really sort of be vulnerable and feel all my feelings. And so growing up, my mom took us to the theater in New York City, and but I would watch movies and watch television shows. And there were some really indelible performances that kind of just sort of made me feel fully human. You know, there was a safety in watching a show or a, a, an actor's portrayal. The fact that I then now have had this opportunity to, you know, act in shows and on stage and, and films and, and hopefully, you know, be part of telling stories that have an impact on other people and provide entertainment, but also potentially, you know, some kind of salvation, some kind of salve for people who really need it is something that I've always appreciated. Every single time I step in front of a camera or on stage, I'm aware of that and grateful for that. And so that deeper meaning to the work has always driven me and um, probably made me more grateful than anything. Hi, I'm Chris Whiteout. Welcome to Living It, the podcast where we join experts in the experience of being human. Be bold, say yes to adventure, Say yes to living it. Welcome to Chris Waddell Living It, where we talk with experts in the experience of being human, those who've taken the risk to realize their dreams and live fully. Today, I'm my good friend, Scott Wolf. He's an actor, a producer, a director. Those of you of a certain age will definitely remember him as Bailey from Party of Five. He's done tons of acting in both film and television, uh, some long running shows like the aforementioned Party of Five, Everwood, now on Nancy Drew. He made his directorial debut during the third season with the Voices in the Frost episode. Scott, welcome. Chris, thank you so much. I just love that I get a chance to be here with you. It's great to see you. This is awesome. I mean, we live in the same area, both live in Park City, Utah. So it's fun to it's fun to have the opportunity to kind of, I actually, embarrassingly enough, I remember meeting you for the first time and sort of knowing sort of of your stardom. And I think I mentioned that I'd gone to high school with Matthew Fox, who was with- That's right. On, on Party of Five. And which, yeah. other than he and I were in the same physical vicinity at the same time, I don't know that we ever even spoke. So this was kind of like okay. my entree to make a connection. I wouldn't know. I mean, he wouldn't even know me, I'm sure. But uh, but we were in the same place. But it is kind of funny and being in this little town where there is sort of this little bit of stardom in so many different ways where you have actors, you have athletes, you have you know, a variety of different things. So it's kind of fun. Now, I want to get about the acting thing because it, it just... I love the idea of going to movies, of watching film, of watching great, great television. What does it mean to you that you've been in the business for 30 plus years? That's a big number. Yeah. I mean, I guess the first thing it means to me is that I'm old. Uh, and then this, the, the more important thing is, um, you know, I, I, I don't really stop and take too much time to just, you know, sort of wallow in 
in a sentiment necessarily, but when in talking about it right now, you know, it is something that I am proud of and feel like is um, the farthest thing from a given, you know, when you jump into a career like uh, acting, that you'll have an opportunity over decades to keep doing the work that you love to do and keep having opportunities. And so I'm incredibly grateful. But as a kid, without delving too far into, uh, you know, this is for a whole other podcast, but there was a level of dysfunction in my house. And, and so performance became a real kind of salvation for me, a place where I could um, really sort of be vulnerable and feel all my feelings. And so uh, growing up, my mom t took us to the theater in New York City, and but I would watch movies and watch television shows. And there were some really indelible performances that kind of just sort of made me feel fully human. You know, there was a safety in watching a show or a, a, an actor's portrayal. One particular one was, you know, one I've talked about for years, which was a play. My grandmother took us to a play when I was like 12 years old. We were on spring break in Florida. And the last thing I wanted to do was go to a play. Uh, we wanted to go to the pool. And we were like, Grandma, why are you doing this to us? Well, it was this beautiful production of a play called Requiem for a Heavyweight. And John Lithgow played the fighter. And his performance was heartbreaking and tragic. And I went from this kind of like, you know, uh, you know, sullen, you know, preteen who was like, I don't want to be here to a mesmerized puddle of myself. I mean, I just got torn open by this performance and i just remember feeling like what an incredible sort of magic trick. Like what a, what a gift that this man could just make me feel all of those things, you know, and I know I'm in a playhouse and I know he's not really that fighter. So the power of what the work could mean to another person really was washed all over me from as early as I can remember. And so the fact that I then now have had this opportunity to, you know, act in shows and on stage and, and films and, and hopefully, you know, be, part of telling stories that have an impact on other people and provide entertainment, but also potentially, you know, some kind of salvation, some kind of salve for people who really need it is something that I've always appreciated. Every single time I step in front of a camera or on stage, I'm aware of that and grateful for that. And so that deeper meaning to the work has always been, driven me and um, probably made me more grateful than anything. So in a lot of ways, you were saying you you weren't really allowed in some ways as a kid to to experience your emotions, right? You're supposed to hide your emotions. And, and your brothers, were they affected the same way by this play? Or was it something that spoke directly to you and, and actually leads toward like a purpose? I mean, this has been a life purpose, yes. right? Yeah, it becomes a bit of a of a calling in the sense that, you know, I never, but, uh, the, the thing that was unique about it, I think my, so my younger brother is also artistic, also acts and plays music and, um, uh, and, and he was the one with me that day and he was affected by it as well. He was a little younger, you know, he was probably 10 
which, you know, those couple of years is a big difference in terms of uh, how a story can impact you and what you're prepared for. And so, but even at that time, there was never, um, you know, I was growing up in New Jersey, uh, you know, I played sports, I didn't know really anybody who, we had one kid who was an actor in town, this guy, Ian Ziering, who went on to 90210. And, you know, at the time he was on a soap opera and, and, and like a Fruit of the Loom commercial. And everyone was like, we have a star in town. Um, but other than him, there wasn't this kind of passport to a career in, in the arts, you know, um, that I was aware of. And even though you were close to even the though city, my mom, right? I mean, you were, you were in New Jersey, close, you were to close to New York, really. Yeah. 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 And, and so, yes, there, there definitely was, you know, for somebody who, you know, the light bulb had really gone off to say, this is something you should do with your life. Those people had access to the city and, um, and could do it. Uh, for some reason, for me, it just felt like, you know, my dad was in the healthcare business and my mom was, you know, a therapist and, um, I don't know. It just, it didn't occur to me that I had the, the sort of right or the pathway to say, I want to be an actor. And it really wasn't until my last year in college where I crossed paths with a, a friend of my dad's best friend who had been an actor and, you know, long story medium, he wrote this letter to my dad and, and said, I think Scott's supposed to be an actor. And this guy had gotten a crap beat out of him in, in the acting business. He was an accountant by this point. Um, and he was so, I don't know, there was something about our meeting and our conversation. And he wrote my dad this letter. I mean, this is going back, you know, before you could just whip out an email or a text. He sat down and wrote a letter expressly to say, I think your son, Scott is supposed to be an actor. And I feel crazy saying this because I didn't do well at it and it's very hard and I still feel like he needs to know that. And so I got that, that my dad was, you know, uh, courageous enough to share that letter with me. And, um, in my last year of college, I did, you know, I went to the head of the theater department and basically, you know, begged for any guidance he could give me in the last year before I was out in the real world. Um, and he was really gracious and, uh, you know, helped me, Help me uh, get a hold of a bunch of great reading and and do all the preparation I could do before actually being in the real world and having to make a go of it. What was it that your father's friends saw in you? Was it conversations that you had had in him? Was it some of how you carried yourself? Was it? I mean, because because that's a it's a bit of a strange thing to say, right? I mean, obviously he is business, so he kind of he knows other actors and kind of you know, has a sensibility, but what right. made you say that? Cause it's, I mean, this is, this is the, this is exactly the thing that parents don't want to hear, right? You're studying That's finance right. and he said, right. no, no, right. no, that practical, that, that like nine to five, the guaranteed getting paid every two weeks, a 401k uh, benefits, yes. these kinds of things. No, I think your son should go and start struggle and struggle and see yes. if he can if he can make it in this artistic world like what made him say that to a to your father? I mean he he did I so that the I don't really know you know I don't I I to be honest um my younger brother Gary 
was asking him most of these questions because Gary had a kind of an inkling that he might, he was interested in the arts before I was. And so he was the one who was asking, um, Clint Brawley was this, this, this guy's name. He was the one asking all the questions. I kind of just remember kind of having a cheeseburger and listening along. And, and I guess I spoke here and there. Um, I don't know what it was, which, which, and our interaction wasn't sort of so in depth, which makes it all the more remarkable right now. I'm a believer in the fact that. I probably would have found my way to it somehow, but would I have found my way to it five or 10 years later than, than I would have, if not for this letter being written. Um, and, and the fact that he literally wrote in the letter, I feel like a crazy person telling someone who's a friend to tell their child to do this thing that just kicked me around and like, yes, go tell your son to go get kicked around. Um, you know, I'm grateful he wrote the letter. Um, I don't know what sort of, uh, I don't know. I don't know what he picked up on, what kind of energy or, or, you know, what he felt, but clearly it was something that was so sort of shot through him that he just knocked down all of the reasons why sending that letter was insane and <laughs> sent it. And, and, um, you know, I, 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 I ask myself, you know, sometimes I'll be around people who have, um, a son or a daughter who, who are interested in the arts. And I love having conversations with people about what it takes and how to get started. And, um, you know, sometimes there is a sort of a wash of a, of a, of a person, you know, um, it's physical, it's energetic, it's, um, you know, how they communicate. It's, it's a, a kind of a feeling, you know, potentially where you can sort of sway yourself one way or another, where you can just get a wash of like, oh yeah, this person does seem to be called to this. And this person might, for whatever reason, I don't see it as clearly. Um, I have no idea really, Chris, I don't know exactly. I never really asked him. I kept in touch with him. And every time I got a great gig and, you know, good things would happen, I'd reach out and say, hey, you know, you have a real hand in this. But I never really asked him, you know, what specifically, what what made you write that letter? I was always just grateful he did. It's amazing because for us as people, we all hope that we sort of get that lightning bolt, like that sense of mm. purpose, like what am I supposed to do? What am I willing to give everything of myself? in order in order to fulfill it you know because then it is a lifetime pursuit and it seems like it was a bit of an epiphany for you in that you went to the head of the theater department and said what do i need to do how do i need to do this but did it feel like that epiphany for you where you go oh yeah everything else that i've been doing doesn't necessarily make sense this makes sense and i'm willing to struggle it's an incredible. It's a, a great question. And it, and the answer is in that moment, like when I read the letter and I took it in, no, there was not that epiphany of holy moly, this is what I'm meant to do. Uh, I will give up everything. I will struggle. I will fight. I will, I will um, do anything it takes to accomplish this thing. What it did do was it gave me a permission that I didn't think I had. 
And why I didn't give myself that permission or feel like I had it, you know, I was part of the way, you know, most of the way through a finance degree. You know, I still had that kid from New Jersey thing where it was like, you know, you know, I, I don't have family in the business. I, you know, I have no real exposure. I never, I wasn't part of the theater program in school. So there were all these reasons why not. This was the thing that just opened the door. And what it really did was it turned, it turned this mystical kind of um, really unique out of reach thing. It's like, oh, it's acting and it's show business and it's Hollywood. And it turned it into, oh, no, no, no. You could actually, this is a craft. This is a job. You know, this is something you can go study and learn and pursue, like being a, a, a banker or a plumber or a lawyer or any other thing. And so it just took the veil off of it and said, here's permission to choose this if you want to. The beauty of that was nothing had ever spoken to me more than performance. And I had had these really early seminal experiences of, oh, what a, if you could spend a life doing that, that you know, um, the, the performance and, and the connection to an audience and the, the value that it holds in, in a, in a small way, person to person and in a big way, how I believe in our society, like there was so much meaning behind it that just having permission to move toward it was massive. But then it took, I still didn't know when I did that proverbial, like, you know, pack up the Toyota Celica and, and drive to LA and get a, a dingy little apartment and get some headshots and start auditioning for commercials. I still didn't at that point know I had not had the real epiphany of this will be how I spend my life until I was in a really great acting class. And in this acting class, um, you know, slowly but surely, I mean, relatively quickly, a lot of the kind of misconceptions of what it meant to have a career as an actor, which I think before you're really studying and doing the work, um, there can be a lot of misconceptions about it. And, and I think I had a very surface level understanding of what this work could be and what, could it, what it could mean to me. But once I really started studying the craft of acting, and was in a really great workshop and working with other people that were aspiring towards this, that's where the real epiphany happened. And the epiphany was, A, yes, this does feel like clouds parting and a true sense of purpose, a true sense of connection, a true sense of, I think this is what I'm here to do, arrived. And along with it was this really great sort of supporting epiphany, which was, I knew right away that I can do it for the rest of my life and I'll still be a student. You know, I'll still be learning how to do it. And as a person who knew that maybe I could bore easy of things and kind of needed to regenerate interest and have something hold my interest, um, that all just fits so beautifully well. And I thought, you know, if I could go to my grave still trying to figure this thing out, um, that feels really great to me. Because if I can give everything to, to a pursuit and know 
that I'll never stop learning. I'll never stop growing. I'll never stop being interested. Um, then I've really found a calling. Yeah. And, and it is about the work, right? It's separate from the idea of stardom and fame and, you know, all and the money and the trappings and these things, which we associate with the people on television, with the people on movies, but the, the work, I mean, I often said that like as an athlete, like even as a retired athlete now, I look back on it and I miss the work more than I miss the competition or the medals or those kinds of things. Like, and people think I'm crazy. I'm like, no, I miss the two a days. And they're like, why would you miss the two a days? That's stupid. And it's like, because that's when that's when the metamorphosis happens, right? That's when this change happens. And to me, that's when you've found your pursuit and where you're willing to make it, willing to make it your life's pursuit and drop yourself into it, like lose yourself in it is, is so much different than kind of being above it and being di and directing it. How did it go? Because the thing is, I mean, you're getting this great sense of like, of, of the work in the class, but then you're going to auditions and, and this is a business where no news is bad news, right? Mm -hmm. Audition, okay. you don't hear anything. You go, okay, so I guess I didn't get that. Uh, I guess I'll go to the next audition and in the next audition and the next, what were you steeled from the pursuit of the work in order to receive the rejection? How did that work for you? Yeah. I mean, sort of just to scoop up a lot of what you just said, which is incredibly true and, and was very much part of my experience was I was very, very, very grateful that the work you know, the two a days uh, that an actor does were incredibly valuable and um, fulfilling to me. And I, I was so interested and committed to developing my craft. Um, and I also was, you know, able to recognize that the experience of doing the work um, was so valuable in and of itself. And again, that that draws back to, you know, eight, 10, 12 year old me seeing these performances and feeling the impact and understanding the value of it. I mean, it, it plugged me in, you know, it made me feel like a full human being when I didn't feel like I had access to my full self. So, so by the time I was in LA and starting a career, you know, the, the deeper meanings of what this work could mean to me and to, um, uh, ultimately, uh, a relationship with an audience in a theater or on the other side of television cameras, all that was so sort of stewed into my process that the fame part of it wasn't what I was chasing. Any actor would, you know, in honesty, you know, they, they, there's this thing they say, like, you know, the, the true actor would give a, a performance in a prison cell. Right. Um, and while I probably don't disagree with that, it's better to have some folks around uh, and, and, and some people who care about what it is you're doing. Like, so, um, so the side of it, which was like, I, my thing was, I don't necessarily, I wasn't wanting to be famous, but I did want to be kind of seen as an actor. You know, I, 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 I feel like, like an, 
until you're working consistently and some people, even if it's just your family and friends go, oh yeah, he was on that show and he did this, you know, this idea of being able to, you know, there's something about when you're very early on in the studies that you're, you know, when people say, oh, what do you do? And you say, I'm an actor. Oh, well, what would I've seen you on? You're like in nothing. But um, so there was a sense of like being excited about getting to a place where I could feel like, you know, when I say I'm an actor, I had something to stand on there. But I was incredibly grateful that I was never sort of chasing that surface stuff, the the fame and, you know, the response uh, from people, because, you know, what you learn pretty quickly <laughs> is that that stuff is fleeting and it is, it's pretty thin, you know, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's a Twix bar instead of mashed potatoes. It, it just runs straight through you and it's gone. You know, the thing that sustains you, the thing that like keeps your blood sugar up and the blood sugar of your life up, uh, the meat and potatoes of your life is the work. And so, um, I'm grateful that, you know, I didn't set out for, uh, for the Twix bar, you know, I didn't set out for the stuff that is ultimately not fulfilling and not sustaining. Um, but to, to answer the last part of your question, yeah, I do think that, um, you know, um, there's some part of, of an actor's career and, and it, it, it's still part of my career today. You know, I still, uh, go meet on things or audition for things and don't hear anything and don't get those things. And so that doesn't change, you know, throughout the course of your career for some people who are fortunate enough to, you know, have careers where they're getting offered things, uh, daily. Um, that's not part of their life, but, um, I've had a really, really fortunate career and I've worked constantly, but, um, but you do have to have a thin and thick skin at the same time. You know, you, you need a, that's, that's the big challenge I think for, for, for being, uh, uh, an actor throughout your career is, you know, you have to have a very thin skin when it comes to performance, cause you have to be vulnerable and willing to, to really go to the places you're asked to go and, and, and be emotional and, um, alive and immediate. And then you have to have a thick skin because, you know, if, if you have a, you know, you know, a, a, a 0.03 batting average in major league baseball, you're not in major league baseball anymore. Uh, if you have that, that average as an actor, you're kind of killing it. So, um, so yeah, so, so, so these, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I don't know if my number, if my math was correct there, but you, you get my point. It's, it is, um. Yeah, you do have to, uh, and and that's the one thing I say to anybody who's starting out or wanting to start out, is, and it's the same thing that every great acting teacher I've ever ha uh, had has said, on day one, if there's anything else that you can do with your life that you can see making you happy, go do it. Right. If not, you're in the right place, and um, and that 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 holds true because, uh, you know, to steal yourself for the levels of you know, you could call it rejection or, you know, things not going your way. Um, uh, it happens so much more often than things, you know, you getting the, the gig, uh, you just have to be fully committed or else that would just be too painful a process. And at this point, you know, I've been on all sides of it now, you know, I've, 
been lucky enough to produce things and direct things and 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 understand that you know you can only hire one person for a role and there's just some some things that just make a certain person really right for it and another person not and the other person and people that aren't can be absolutely wonderfully talented and it's not a function of your talent level it's just you know there's something that just is uh more right about this other person who's going to get the role well it's a ridiculous industry right because it's the it's the kind of thing that we can say scott you're too good looking for this role what does that mean? Like you can't what do, I do with that. that. What do I do with that? profession, right? Sorry, we can't yeah. hire you. You're too good looking. You're going to be distracting. You know, you can't say that. Right. But right. It's when you're starting out too. I mean, it's funny because you're talking about not wanting to follow or chase the fame, chase that, that ephemeral little thin thing. But at the same time, you want to be a working actor. Mm-hmm. So, so it's like, any opportunity is an opportunity, right? That yes. that it's a step in the pos- in a positive direction. I told you I had a little little entree. I was on a soap opera for a little while, just like four episodes or something like that. You didn't know this? I was on uh, Loving. Uh, it was a okay. half an hour show on ABC, and uh, yeah, it was it was a funny funny intro just to like see what's going on. And I shared a dressing room with some of the guys. I was like. Uh, what I had like, what, what do you call it? Uh, like I had like three or four lines kind of thing. So like I was under five, under five. I was under five. Exactly. <laughs> and, but I shared a dressing room with these guys who were, who were the extras. Like one guy was the guy who basically was the break in the scene, right? He's the bellboy who pushes the cart across and he's, he's creating this, like creating a resume. Right. I mean, this right. is, right. I had, I have a credit. I have one credit and you never know who you might meet or something like that or whatever. But, but that's the way these things work, isn't it? Like there's no job that's sort of too small. If you're going to be an actor, most people don't start with the, you know, the, the, the big hit show or yeah, yeah, exactly. There, and it happens, right. Uh, The it's, it's the, it's the way more rare occurrence, you know, but, but what's what's hilarious, not hilarious, but what's what's often true, most often true, is even that person that seemingly comes out of nowhere and just has like this huge success on a TV show or a film, that person's been knocking around. You just haven't noticed them yet. They have they either, you know, haven't been on something significant enough for you to clock them, or they've been working on stage. Um, but there are very, very few just, you know, there's almost nobody, a tiny handful of people in history who are like, maybe I should act. And then bang, they're on a big movie or a big show. So most overnight successes have been really, really, you know, hacking away at it for a lot longer than a night. And, um, but, but yes, especially early on, you know, you, you don't, you can't really afford to say no, you know, so you know, whatever it is, you know, I, I did, I started doing commercials. I would do little tiny under five roles on, um, on series. Um, and it was kind of a progression, right? You know, each job kind of built on the last. And one of the big things that, um, you know, I don't know if it was this way with you. I would imagine it was this way with racing too, which is you just, you know, there's these like thresholds that you break through and beyond that threshold, before you break through it, 
it's just a big mystery. And it's like, how do you get to that place? And, and it can seem out of reach. And like, I know how to get to here, but how do you get to there? And so as an actor, it was like, okay, how do you get an audition? You know, how do you, <laughs> you know, how do you agent, just get yeah, in the right. room? Yeah. See again. To get an agent too, right? That's right. That's right. Even just getting an agent, you know, like, or how do I get, how do I get a good headshot? Like it literally starts from ground zero. So with it's like, no okay, money. Get, okay. Yeah. With yes, nobody's with paying no money for you. Like, okay, how can I afford to get these headshots? And you're in LA and they're like, okay, it does it, does it seem like everybody's trying to scam you, you know? A hundred percent. And, and I did, I did thankfully land right away a regular extra gig. So I was a background artist on, on this show called Saved by the Bell. And it, I worked two days a week, but it paid, I think it was like a hundred bucks a day. So I was making like, what was that? Yeah. 200 bucks. I was like making like, uh, was it 800, 200? It's like 800 bucks a month just for these two days of work. And, um, I had had a little bit of money from graduation and, and, uh, and so I was going on these commercial auditions and yeah, little by little, um, it was like, okay, how do I, how do I get an audition? And how do I get an agent? Got an agent. How do I, how do you get an audition? Got my first audition. How do I get another one? How do I get a call? Now, how did you was do like, those things? How did you get the agent? How did well, you get... the, yeah. You know, I have to say, and I've, and I've talked to people about this that are starting out. Um, it's, it's funny because there were a lot of things that people would say, okay, you know, you would get to town. I got to Los Angeles and you'd talk to other, you know, new aspiring actors and people, people in your acting class. And, you know, you'd have conversations about how the, how do you, how do you get an agent? How do you get an agent? And there were all these like, well, you know, always do this and never do that. And I was lucky enough to like, I just had some common sense. And so I was able to kind of discern between these like always and nevers and, and just kind of feel out one of the big things for me was like, people were like, okay, never walk into an agency with a headshot. You know, they hate it. It's like, you know, frowned upon, just put it in a manila envelope and send it. And I was like, I don't know. I just thought to myself, I was like, Chris, I was like, aren't I better off? Like, well, I'm a cute kid and I'm nice and I have a, a nice smile and you know, there's probably some like nice person sitting at the desk that I can just say hi to and hope they're having a good day. And Hey, here's my picture. And so I did that. And I got calls from four out of the five agents that I stopped in at the first day. And everyone in my acting class, everyone was like, don't do that. Like you'll never get signed. They hate it. You know? So there were things like that, that I just was able to use a little bit of common sense and trust my own instincts and um, think outside the box a little bit. So that's how I got my first agent who wasn't great. Um, but they got me some auditions and luckily, you know, I could, I, I had a commercial look, so I was getting sent down on commercial auditions right away and um, was lucky enough to start getting callbacks. And then, you know, similar to, you know, I'm sure racing, it's like, finishing in the top 20. And then it's like, how do I get to the top 10? Well, for me, it was, how do I get a callback? And then how do I get a second callback? And eventually it was, how do I book one of these things? I started 
Every time I would break through, I seemed to be able to stay at that level. So once I was getting called back for things, I would get called back on everything because that sort of, I, I sort of understood how to get there. And then finally I was able to book a commercial and it was, uh, I think my first one was a McDonald's commercial. And, uh, and, um, and so, so yeah, it was, uh, what did you do in the commercial? Do you remember? Uh, you know, I do, I do. I played the big brother to a kid who had broken his leg and the kid who had broken his leg was home, uh, you know, home in a cast and Ronald McDonald showed up at his house and was kind of playing hide and seek with him and keeping him company while he couldn't be out with his friends. And then I play the big brother who comes home and notices kind of like, it seems like someone's been in the house. Um, and, uh, and it was Ronald McDonald. And, uh, so yeah, I just, I, 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 I had a very small part in that first one, but then I did like an aqua fresh commercial and Coca-Cola and I did, I did all these commercials, which for a young actor who had no money was huge because there were, you know, a couple of years there where I was like skipping to the mailbox because, uh, residual checks for commercials that aired nationally were substantial and sustained me really through those first couple of years until I started to get jobs that paid better. And eventually, uh, what would be considered my big break getting party of five. Is that when you say when you got party of five and you guys, I mean, what, that was 142 episodes, I think. I mean, like you were around yeah. for a long yeah, time, six, six years. Like that's, that's a, that's yeah. like the security in some ways of being a finance major, right? Of like, you actually, you have a job and you have a job sure. that recurs. You, you keep coming back to it. You get your, you get your SAG card, you get your, your health insurance through SAG, you get, you know, retirement, you get all these things and you're like, okay, like I can, I can relax. I can, I can actually go buy dinner. I can go out to dinner. I don't have to, have to manage all of my money. I was, uh, I have a cousin who's a, uh, who's a musician, a band called yeah. Clap Your Hands, Say Yeah. And after his first album, they played Coachella. And I have an uncle who has a place out in Palm Desert. So I was out there and I drove my cousin to, to Coachella. And wow. I had, and, and this is as rock and roll as it possibly gets, right? Because I have a white minivan and I'd had my bike with me. So I took the seats out of the minivan. So he's like sitting in the back of the minivan on the floor as yeah. we're going through. And a couple of times he actually got out and kind of like waved to people and did stuff and did all these things and everything. But I said to him, so, so what does this mean to you? Like, like Coachella, cause to me as the outsider, I'm like, wow, this is like huge. Like I have a relative who's famous. Who's like, who's like, cool. I'm just hanging onto the coattails. You know, what did yeah. this mean to you? And he said, and this is after his first album, he said, well, I think it means that I'll be, in the business for the rest of my mm. life, like that, that I'll be able to. And he's had a few of those times where, where he said, Hey, I think it might be time to go to law school, but, uh, but he's stayed in the business. Did you, was party of five kind of that, that reckoning for you? I mean, it sounded like the work was really always something for you that you were going to yep. do work, but there's a difference in some ways, or there can be a difference between doing the work and being in the business where you're getting auditions, you're getting callbacks, you're getting gigs, you're growing yeah. from one to the other. Was party yeah. of five that for you is again, another epiphany or. Absolutely. Yeah. It was the, you know, it was the kind of job when, when I first got it, 
it wasn't quite because, you know, we were like the best show you weren't watching, you know, it, it, the, the show went on to be very successful and grateful for that. But people often forget that early on, like the first season, we were teetering on cancellation the whole time. And even into season two, it was like our ratings weren't really strong and we were growing a little bit, but um, we wound up winning uh, a Golden Globe for best drama in our second season, which was massive and drew a huge audience to the show. And that, and and then when you're in season three and four and, and on onward, yeah, that's where it starts to feel like, okay, this has now become, um, you know, a job that establishes a career and that career is not given. It's not guaranteed. It's, you know, there's no promises that you're, going to work forever and going to work on X amount of things and the kinds of things that you want to at all times. But it does sort of go from, oh, I, you know, I'm a gig to gig to gig person to a person who feels like I have a really, you know, I'm going to spend my life in this work. Um, and that, yeah, I mean, I'm eternally grateful for, you know, for that job and for that show, um, for that experience, because I loved it. I loved playing that character. I loved all the people I worked with. And there's something about being part of a show like that, that that takes on sort of a place in culture and in, in media and in people's minds at the time that's sustainable, you know, over, over a long period of time. And, you know, uh, I've done a lot of other shows that have kind of come and gone um, you know, shows I've been very proud of that have only lasted a season or two, but to have been launched by a show that had a really great run and, um, you know, had a really great following and, and was the kind of show that struck an emotional chord in people where still to this day, you know, people will come up at an airport and react in a way that it feels like, you know, party of five was on last Wednesday, which is really something. That has to be something that one, I mean, it's, it's probably a little, you're probably a little bit self-conscious with it. Like, okay. But, but at the same time, it's gotta be so heartening to just go, we did something. Cause this is what, what you started with. You started with the people who affected you and you wanted to give them that moment mm -hmm. of connection, that moment of happiness, that moment of understanding. Yeah. So like years later, I mean, this is 20, three years later, you know, I mean, this is a long time. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. I mean, I, uh, yeah, I mean, look to be, to the, you hope to be part of, I hope to be part of, uh, projects telling stories that matter to people and that people react to and have an emotional involvement in. Um, I mean, to, to be part of a show that, you know, 20 something years later, still resonates with people in such an immediate way. You know, it kind of takes people back to where they were when they watched the show. And, um, and over the years, the show has had kind of new, um, uh, life through Netflix and through other, um, through other platforms. And so, you know, I've had people come up and, you know, say, I'm, I'm watching the show, uh, with my kids and I watched it as a kid. And, you know, those kinds of things are, are really, 
there it's it's incredibly meaningful and and as i sit here with you now you know look i just finished nancy drew our last season and that had a you know not the biggest audience in the world but an intensely loyal one that the show really mattered to so that was wonderful and i'm just like chomping at the bit for the next one and i i feel like you know the journey of being sort of excited about you know what will be my next chance to be part of telling a story that matters to people is, um, you know, it's the thing I knew when I jumped into that first acting class was, you know, I I'll never outgrow this. And, you know, something that comes to mind every time I talk about this is like, yeah, I love working on stage as well. I haven't had a chance to do, I have three, you know, three kids in school. And so it's, you know, the day job is better to, to be working on camera right now, even though I love working on stage, but, but, but we're, Working on these sound stages where we shoot television and film, um, there's practical locations where we're in a house or a train station, but a lot of it gets shot on a sound stage. And these sound stages have these big soundproof doors, these big handles. And when you open them, it makes this like, it's like a, it's this like vacuumy thing that happens. And they're hard for to me this to open. Day, yes, they're really hard to open. But for to this day, that that like whoosh still kind of like gives me this like magical tingle in my chest of like, ooh, I get I I'm part of this, you know, I get to do this, which is which is pretty cool, you know, what, 35 years into a career. It it is. It's that moment when you go to work, right? And it's and it's a different kind of work than than other people. In a lot of ways, I, mm -hmm. I feel like I tell people that I should be a pilot because when I get on a plane is when I go to work. Like if I'm going for a speaking gig or something like that, like, and when I was competing, it was the same thing where you're training at home, you get on the plane and then you're going so, somewhere meaningful. Like that whoosh is that meaningful moment that I'm working. How does it work? I mean, you've been on a few series where you've gone, you've had an extended run. And I don't know mm -hmm. if you feel this. I often feel this where sometimes I've been doing a lot of speaking and it's like, it's just like you're you're going from gig to gig to gig. And then and then when it ends, you're, you're trying to make it to the end. You make it to the end. And my thought oftentimes is, I wonder if I'll ever work again. Do you have that, that <laughs> sense of insecurity of like, because you're auditioning, you're interviewing for a job all the time. Yes. Yeah. And I, yeah, I mean, as I sit here and talk with you right now, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm feeling that now, you know, uh, I used to hear, I want to say it was like, uh, I think it was Kevin Bacon who, you know, years ago after he was a huge movie star, you know, said that, uh, he constantly ends a job wondering if he'll ever have another one. And so, yeah, that's like an inherent part of, of, I think, um, yeah, working in this in this business because again, there's no guarantees. You know, as confident as you can be in yourself and as as valuable as you believe yourself to be, you know, the it takes the right confluence of things to to wind up um working. And um and so, you know, thankfully I'm about to to go off and do something really fun. Um, you know, the other thing that we're dealing with right now is uh is, you know, these work stoppages from, um, from these, you know, there's strikes and, 
guild stoppages, writers, actors, directors, you know, everybody's coming to terms with these companies and everyone's trying to sort out, you know, what's fair moving forward as the, as the technical aspects of our media climate just are sort of sand beneath our feet. They're just shifting constantly. And so how to divide up the pie is always a tricky, uh, a tricky prospect, but, um, you know, look, as an artist, as somebody who works and then doesn't work and, you know, um, relies on, you know, compensation that attends to the, you know, the uneven aspects of this work, you know, but my heart goes out to, you know, everyone talks about, oh, it's the writers are striking and the actors are striking and the directors are striking. Well, the, the, the heart and soul and guts of any production is the crew. So it's all of the people that are, you know, in the lighting department, electric and the art department and special effects department and hair and makeup and the production office and all these people that make the business go, you know, they're all forced to sit on the sidelines in times where work st slows down and stops because of these stoppages. And, you know, thankfully, I do believe there is a real um, solidarity, you know, between, you know, you know, IATSE, who are the the, the crew unions and sag after and, and DGA and WGA. And, you know, we're all in it together. Um, ultimately, you know, uh, as an artist, I stand on the side of other artists. And, and as a person who's worked alongside crews my whole life, I have the utmost respect and admiration for anybody who crews up on a film or television set. And so I'm on their side. And, um, but yeah, so so there's always uh, an aspect of like, what's next? Um, you know, to be honest, when I was, you know, 28, you know, what's next was just thrilling and charming and like exciting and adventurous. And at my age with three children and, you know, a mortgage payment, what's next is, is a far different question. <laughs> Yeah, there's college on the horizon. There's there's the practical part, and it's not just the exciting part. What about being a director? I mean, how much did that change? Were you always the guy on set? Because you've been on set a long time who was looking at what everybody else was doing, looking at where the cameras were, looking at where the lights were, those kinds of things. Is that what brought you to being a director? Because it's also that's like the whole picture as opposed to your little picture in some ways. Right. Yes. 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 And that's exactly right. You know, what you just described is, you know, I, I was sort of always the person who was, you know, too curious to not be paying attention to kind of uh, every uh, department and everyone on set and what they were doing, what they weren't doing. Um, you know, at times to my detriment as a performer, to be honest, because, you know, like I look at someone like a Daniel Day Lewis, and I, you know, I don't think Daniel Day Lewis <clears throat> spends time on set going, you know, that guy's holding the boom wrong. You know, he's that that you know, Daniel Day Lewis is one of these immersive artists who, you know, uh, at least as it seems, I've not been fortunate enough to work alongside him, but who is just so immersed in his performance and that those things are just you know, he's probably oblivious to most of that. And I'm built different than that. You know, I, I just have, I feel like I'm able to, to, to 
immerse myself in my performance um, between action and cut. <clears throat> but I'm so curious about all elements of production. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, it was a natural progression where over the years, I was having constant conversations with our directors of photography and directors and sound guys and boom operators about their stuff, about what they were doing, about how they did it. And, um, and I became that person who eventually other actors were like, you're, you're director, right? And I was like, no. And they were like, well, why, why, you know, you're basically a director, you know? And, um, so I finally, you know, in, on my umpteenth series, uh, Nancy Drew raised my hand and said, you know, this is something I, I really want to step into. And they were wonderful, you know, the showrunner and the producers. And I had a really wonderful, um, a guy named Larry Tang, who was our producing director, who is a great friend and became a really great mentor and supporter. And so, yeah, I directed my first episode in season three and, um, I absolutely loved it. You know, I, I feel like, you know, other than to say, I mean, I can say from my own experience, I did feel like I was stepping into something that utilized every part of me. You know, I feel like my, every part of my intellect, every part of my emotional life, every part of my social skill, um, every part of my technical and creative mind was all firing. And it requires all of that because yes, instead of one performance, you're, you're telling the entire story. And every time you say cut and we're moving on to the next shot, everyone like turns around and looks at you and goes, what's next boss. And, you know, you should have an answer. And so, um, the amount of preparation, the amount of, um, just life force and, and, uh, right brain, left brain, uh, uh, the, the willingness to, or the ability to kind of bring to bear every bit of, of, of skill and information that I've absorbed over the years. And at the same time, know how to delegate and know how to let the expert people around you be the experts that they are. Because, you know, the one thing you learn pretty quickly is you're not and can't and shouldn't be doing anything on your own. Um, you have incredible technicians, incredible artists, incredible cast. And um, so while you're sort of saying, hey, this is the next dot we're going to connect, um, you it's this balance of learning how to lead uh, and be led sort of simultaneously. And um, I loved it. You know, the best compliment I got paid was, you know, our lead actress, um, Kennedy McMahon, who plays Nancy Drew, was like, I don't know what I'm watching right now. She's like, it looks like you've directed 85 episodes of television. And I don't know why that is, because this is your first episode. And and it went well. You know, I, I came out of it feeling like there were a billion things I wish I could go back and get another crack at. Um, but then in season four, they gave me another episode to direct, which was great. And um, and similarly to that previous thing I talked about, which was like, you know, once your kind of head comes above the clouds and a lot of the mysteries of a thing, you know, it's like, how do you direct an episode of television? So, okay, well, I directed one. So the second time, everything's a little less, a little less stressful, a little less of a mystery. 
Yeah. Everything slows down a little. Yes. And that's, that's a huge part of it, Chris. I'm glad you talked about that because that the last thing I would say is, especially in, in television, most people um, can't fully appreciate how fast things move making a television show. So effectively, you know, if you think about it just from the math, let's say a movie is, you know, uh, 90 minutes long. So we'll take, uh, you know, a very fast movie can be shot in like three weeks, right? An independent film, low budget, or a very quick film. Most, there, you know, a lot of films that people go and see in the theaters are shot over the course of two, three, four, five, six months. And they're shooting, let's say, 120 pages. Um, we're shooting 50 pages in eight days. Uh, some shows seven days. So you have way too much work to do and not enough time and money to do it. And that's what directing episodic television is. And so I've always been aware of that. I've always watched directors managing their time, stressing about their time, having the first assistant director come up and be like, we're dying. We're dying. You got to, you got to pick up the pace. You got to cut a shot. You got to move past this. You got to, I never had that kind of guillotine of a clock hanging over my head until I directed that first episode. And boy, Chris, uh, it was a thing. It was like, I could hear each tick of the clock. Like it was, uh, like a pound of a drum and managing that stress and trying to execute a game plan was, you know, beyond anything that I've ever, ever experienced, but clearly I loved it enough to ask to do it again and, uh, and was allowed to, and, and still want to, to pursue that. I feel like I, I really love it. I feel like it, you know, acting is all consuming in a finite lane playing a character. It takes all of your focus. It takes all of your, um, uh, all of your, all of the skill you have, all of your effort. Um, but directing does that, but you're just holding so much more in terms of, you know, responsibility and the storytelling and, um, managing people and machinery. And, um, so it's, it's, it's exhilarating and terrifying and I can't wait to do it again. <laughs> Which is interesting. There's so much more to me is something that's interesting because you haven't mentioned sort of the empathetic part of being a director where, you know, they're, they're the physical things that you have to do. People have to be in the right places. You are also acting in the episode as well. So you were, you were an actor, then you were a director, but you're also wanting to ensure that all of the other actors, everybody else on set is having a great episode. That's right. And so what was, was that part of what made it great? Was that part of what made it exhausting? as well as to have this far greater responsibility than you'd ever imagined? Well, it's a great question. And I think it made it great for me because I, for, for me, that's kind of my favorite part of, uh, of the work is being part of this collaborative creative team. And so, you know, it was so easy for me and joyous for me to, be a cheerleader 
to be a champion, to, to, to talk to, you know, to, to tell the dolly grip how great the move was to, to pull an actor aside after a scene and say, what a gift you just gave me as a director and thank you. And, and as an, as, as an actor myself to have true empathy for what it feels like to have to give a performance. And so in giving notes and in kind of, you know, hoping to provide a very safe, free space for an artist and an actor to be able to give their best. All of that felt like my favorite part of it. And so it was very challenging to manage the stressful aspects of it and still stay fully available to the warmth and the openness and the connectivity that is my favorite part. But yeah, no, that, that, that part of it, I, I didn't find that to be uh, uh, draining. I found that to be kind of enlivening, you know, that, that part of it was, I just felt blessed and like so lucky and honored to be the person who was in charge of making sure everyone felt looked after, felt like there was a game plan, felt like we were supposed to have a good time today, even though we're doing a hard thing. Like all that was like right up main street for me. And, you know, look, there were, there were moments where I was very successful doing that. There were probably moments where I wasn't, where, where the stress maybe pulled me into a place where I wasn't as available as I could have been, but overall that side of it. And I appreciate you bringing that up because, um, because yeah, that like that is one of the core aspects of being the director is, you know, you're the, you know, you are leading the way and you're not just leading the way in terms of, you know, a shot list of the order of how things are going to go uh, and where a camera goes and how a blocking goes, but you really the leader in terms of how it feels to be part of a day. And the biggest compliments that I got were from crew people and actors and people who who pulled me aside and just said like, this is as much fun as I've had in a while. And, and that meant the world to me because, um, because I believe that that is really what we're aspiring to do. You know, I think the the more people are enjoying the work they're doing, the better work they're doing. Well, it sounds like that's what attracted you to the profession in the first place, but it's happening mm -hmm. on two levels. It's happening on the level that we see it as the audience, but you're also experiencing it on the set. And so that yes. to me sounds like a major success. So uh, so it sounds like you're 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 doing what you're supposed to do. I think so. I mean it it felt like it felt so. And yes, you're right. I mean I feel like, you know, I think a lot of people come to directing, um, especially in television, from different lanes from different angles. You know, some people like Larry uh, Tang, who's my my friend and mentor, and he's become a hugely uh, prolific director. He's incredible. He came at it from post-production originally. You know, he was, he was, he ran, he was, uh, you know, in edit, editorial editing and post-production and ran post-production on series. So he had this incredibly robust technical expertise. Um, he also happens to just be a badass human and funny and great. Um, but the, for me, you know, my, the thing that I was sort of well-versed in was having a good time on set. I've been doing that all my life. So, <laughs> so yeah, I came at it from the standpoint of the human part of this, the like, 
the collaboration and the like excitement about like, Ooh, you know, running over to someone and going like, that was awesome. Like, but if we could just hold on her just for like a split second more before we pen and that all that sort of interpersonal stuff, um, was the thing that drove me to it and made me feel like I was built for it. But the technical aspects of it, working with department heads, you know, special effects and stunts and lensing, you know, choosing what lens to use uh, versus another. And, uh, you know, all of that technical, the, the technicalities of directing, which is a huge part of it, that I knew was the steepest learning curve for me. And I'm still, you know, I'm still at the beginning of that curve. I've only directed a couple of episodes, but um, what I learned that was thrilling was that as much as I knew that the the interpersonal stuff and the performance stuff and the stuff that was just kind of like, oh, I'm going to like, I'll, that's my jam. Like I'm, I'm going to like, that'll feel to me like I've always done that. Even the technical stuff that I was like concerned about or thought, you know, um, how interested will I be in it? How much will I love that side of it? Every technical decision that gets made from what lens to use, from where the camera goes, from whether the camera moves or not, from the blocking, you know, where the actors go to what color an outfit is, what, you know, every decision, no matter how technical it is, is still an artistic decision when you're making, telling a story. So that was like the thrill for me was like, oh, wait a second. I thought there was all this fun, artsy fartsy stuff. And then all these like mathy things of like lenses and outfits and, you know, and where a light goes. And, um, and I learned very quickly, no, it's, it's all artsy fartsy and, and there's nothing more I love than artsy fartsy. That is absolutely awesome. So the final season of Nancy Drew, which I have watched a couple of episodes now, I apologize. I had not watched any prior to preparing for this. Forgiven. It is, it is not what I used to see back in the supermarket when I was a little, you and I are actually three months apart. Oh, and, wow. And so we grew up exactly at the same time. And there was sort of like the Hardy Boys and the Nancy Drew, like on that, on that little spindle thing or whatever. And it's not what I saw back then. I mean, this is edgy and cool and and there's some attitude and it's, it's really, it's really very interesting. I, I so the fourth season is, is yes, coming out. fourth and final, fourth and final season. So we've wrapped up the show. Uh, fourth and final season starts really anytime. I know we have a premiere date. Uh, it's coming soon. I want to say, I want to say it's later in, uh, later in May. And, um, but, uh, but yeah, I've been really proud to be part of the show. Yes. As to your point, it is not your grandmother's Nancy Drew. Um, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty spooky. You know, they really embrace the supernatural the way we've always described it is, you know, in the books, you know, there'd be some very, very tense, spooky thing. And then it would re be revealed to just be like an old farmer who made a noise with a rake. And in our show, it's a, an actual ghost uh, or demon. And so, um, so yeah, it's a really cool new incarnation of Nancy Drew that we've loved making. And I'm hoping this last season is really satisfying to the audience that has stuck with us through the years. Um, so, so yeah, that'll be out soon. And 
and yeah, some other things brewing. I'm I'm off to do this um, really fun film project next month that I can't say too much about, um, but it'll be uh, out at the end of the year. And you know, fingers crossed. Uh, some of these, um, you know, some of these impasses between you know the artists and the companies will be quick moving. Um, I think everybody knows how important you know, this content is in the world. And it's one of the reasons why I've loved being an actor and an artist is, you know, I, 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 I know it's entertainment and, you know, we're not curing cancer, but I be really believe in the value of storytelling and the impact that it has on people. And, and when a person finds something that, that, that really resonates with them, it, it really, it changes their life. And that's pretty awesome. And as the actor, getting the next job is always the most exciting thing too right it's it's not the it's not the glory and the and the and the glamour but it's but it's it's getting that next job and going back to work so scott thanks so much for joining us and for sharing your story and i look forward to seeing you more and best of luck in the future yeah let's get together soon it's great i, I really appreciate you having me on this has been awesome thanks chris Really appreciate it. And thank you to all of you for tuning in. It's so great. The greatest thing you can give us is to tell your friends. Tell your friends to tune in. Tell your friends to like us, to follow us, to subscribe, and we will continue to bring you great content. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us. Please subscribe to Chris Whiteout Living It for more stories on the adaptive community, the Paralympics, artists, athletes, entrepreneurs, experts in the experience of being human. Also follow us on Spotify, Apple, Facebook, and Instagram. I look forward to seeing you next week.